Speaking of, tonight we are back. We are looking at Psalm 28 uh, this evening. I think Psalm 28 is actually a good transition um, from where we were this morning, as you'll see in a moment, um, because I can't help but wonder if you were with us. We were in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 13, and one of the points we made was how the gospel, uh, the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel went from this underground prison, this hole in the ground, to where we were speaking it today in the United States in a church service. And so we see the power of the gospel and how it moves. And so when we look to Psalm 28, I can't help but wonder if Psalm 28 would have been a prayer that was on the mind of Paul as he was in what would be his final days in prison. Now, again, Paul would have been um, just very wise and devout and astute in his knowledge of the Old Testament. And so I can't help but wonder if Psalm 28 would have been a prayer that left his lips or a prayer that he would have sung that, that the guards would have heard him sing as he was waiting out what would be his final days. Now, Psalm 28, just to get into this, here's a, another Psalm of David. This is actually the third Psalm in a trio of Psalms along with Psalm 26 and 27 um, in a section of Psalms that can actually be titled, A Prayer for the Falsely Accused. And so now all of a sudden we can begin to see how Paul could possibly relate to this particular psalm. Now, Psalm 28 itself can actually be broken down into two stanzas or two sections, if you will, with the divide being seen in verse 6, as verse 6 will repeat the same line that we have in verse 2, which says, hear the voice of my plea. So, Looking at these two sections, we'll walk through them together. Section one is going to express the prayer. Section two is then going to be the celebration that comes with the expected or long-awaited answer uh, that God will give from the prayer. So having said that, let's just look at Psalm 28 for a moment and... Let's just see what God has for us through this psalm. So here we go. Psalm 28, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David. He writes, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Powerful words coming from a powerful psalm. And again, if you go back and read this, imagine briefly for a moment, you're 
shackled away in an underground prison awaiting death and just wonder at the words of comfort that Psalm 28 would have given somebody like Paul in what would have been his final moment. So what I want us to do is break this thing down section by section. Again, there's just two sections, so this shouldn't take us uh, too terribly long. So let's just go ahead and look at this together. In verses one through five, we actually have what is stanza one or section one, which is the prayer of the one who is falsely accused. Now, what I wanna do is just point out some phrases and talk through them with you as we go. So let's look again at verse one. You'll immediately see, we know we're talking to God here, to you, O Lord, I call. And then we have this wonderful phrase, my rock, which is a phrase that we should underline because this phrase, my rock, this was actually a familiar name or an attribute that was often given to God because God was seen as the rock. He was seen as the the foundation of where all things start. And so when we see God being spoken of as the rock here in the Psalm, it's actually referring to God being the source of protection, the source of strength in all times and through all seasons. We actually see this same phrase mentioned in Psalm 78 and also in Deuteronomy 32. So when you see the believers cry out to the Lord, my God, my rock, we know that they are speaking to the one that sustains them, the one that provides for them, the one that holds them, and the one that will keep and protect them during their time of need. We go from there and we see uh, the phrase, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Now this phrase, go down to the pit, this is actually talking about the place where people go when they die. You see the pit itself actually stands for Sheol or the grave. So the psalmist here in using it in verse one is recognizing it this way. He's recognizing that if God is silent to his people, it would be as if the person died and therefore has been separated from God. And so now you're beginning to see the importance of the connection that David is trying to make between himself and his God. He's literally saying, God, if you were, if you were hear my pleas, hear my cry, Lord, knowing that if you, were, if you were silent, it is almost as if I have died and I have gone to this place where I am now eternally separated from you. So now all of a sudden, you really begin to see the heart of David as he does his best to to desire and to have the passion to stay connected with God. So from David, we're seeing the desperate need, not only for God's help, but also the desperate need for the urgency in waiting for God's response. Now, could you imagine for a second what that must be like uh, for David praying this prayer, or maybe even if you fast forward, if, if Paul actually prayed this prayer for a moment and just said, Lord, your silence to me is like separation. I mean, could you just imagine that for a moment? Now imagine we took that a step further as New Testament believers and we said, God, when I am separated from you, when I'm separated from your words, it is like I am separated from you. Like I have died and now you are no longer with me. Now think about that for a moment and now put that in light of our modern day because the reality is we do have God's word with us. We have the Holy Bible. And so imagine if we treated the word of God as if we said, if I am ever separated from this book, it is as if I am separated from the Lord himself. 
Imagine how that would change our, our quiet times each day as we think about, Lord, when can I find time to meet with you? I think the, the question would, would, would change at that moment. It'd be, Lord, I am going to find time with you because if I don't have that time, then I am now separated. So there's the desperate need. There's the urgency. We then get into verse two and we have this phrase, um, where he says halfway down in verse two, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Now here is a reference to the inner room of the tabernacle, if you will, or to the temple where the Ark of the Covenant stood. And so what David is telling us is we see an image of David lifting both his hands and his voice in worship directly to God. And so here David is giving us a picture in verse two that our total focus should be on God alone. Now, this is actually similar to what we discussed this morning and the fact that we were talking about how we should not lose sight of God, who is our source of strength, not lose sight of God, who is our source of grace, because each of these things originate from God alone. And so here is David in his psalm in singing, pointing us back to where the source of our strength, the source of our hope and our mercy and our grace, it all comes to him. And so that's why we lift our hands to him or we lift our hands toward his most holy sanctuary because the goal is to be as close to the heart of God as we can possibly be. Now moving from there, he gets into verse three and he speaks of, um, he speaks again and he says, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. And then he says of the workers of evil, this is important. He says, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Now, clearly what we have here is our psalmist, our writer, knows and understands and is speaking of the hypocrisy of the enemy. You see, we need to pay attention here for two reasons. One, because like the psalmist points out here, like David points out, we need to be leery of who it is we find ourselves associating with. Now, I'm not saying we need to disassociate from all non-Christians. However, we do need to be careful that we don't find ourselves associating with people who praise God with their lips and then the next day they curse him. Because the scripture says, out of their their mouth, praise and cursing should not be. We need to be careful of who the hypocrites are. At the same time, we need to be careful ourselves that we do not become like hypocrites. And here's what I mean by that. Sunday service cannot become the thing that we check off our box and say, Lord, look at what I did for you. And then we walk on and live on by the lifestyle that goes contrary to the word of God throughout the rest of the week. We just can't do it. Because the reality is, and many Christians, nominal Christians, I should say, want to believe this. They want to believe that when we show up at church on Sunday and we check that off the box, God fist bumps us, you know, because he's trying to be socially distanced. Um, He fist bumps us and then he walks away and checks out other people. And therefore he turns a blind eye to us and therefore we have free reign to do what it is we want to do. Some people call this God blinking. Okay, God blinked in this moment. The problem with that statement is God does not blink. He does not miss a moment. He does not mess up. He never takes his eyes off of us. So just because we get it right on Sunday doesn't mean God's gonna miss what happens on Monday. Just because we get it right on Sunday doesn't mean that God's gonna miss what happened on Saturday. Now, does that mean we're gonna be perfect and flawless? No, we're gonna sin. We're gonna make mistakes. However, we can't play the game with God. 
We may be able to fool the people around us, but we will not fool God. He will see us for who we are. And so he speaks of these enemies as, as hypocrites. They are, they are speaking peace with their neighbors, and yet all the while they're plotting evil in their hearts against their neighbors. And so we get into verse four, and we have this phrase, give to them according to their work and according to their evil deeds. Again, we see give to them according to the work of their hands. And then the last phrase, render them their due reward. Now, again, you see the phrase repeated, give to them, followed by render them. Now, here is the psalmist. He's not speaking, obviously, of their good work. He's not speaking of their hard work, um, nor is he speaking of their, quote, unquote, reward, as if it's a good thing. Rather, he's praying to God for the enemies of God to be punished in accordance to the will of God. Now, let me just pause there for a second, okay? Because a lot of people like to take Psalm 28, verse four, and they like to flip it, and they like to say, see, it is possible for us to pray down God's wrath on someone. And that is not at all what David is doing here. We are actually missing the point. This is not a passage that we can look at and say, well, did David just give us the license to, to pray down God's wrath upon a particular people? No, that's not at all what's happening here. Rather, what we see happening is a moment where the psalmist is, is not finding joy in praying evil over someone, you see, because that's, that's taken from the perspective that these enemies have already simply turned away from God. So just as God is faithful to care for his people, then we need to know that the prayer is for God to both be faithful in his justice towards his enemy. So again, we're not praying wrath upon them. We're praying God's will be done. And so we need to be careful here because for the people that we see as enemies of God, it is possible for God's justice to reign upon them. But at the same time, it is possible for God's mercy to be found in them as well. You know, recently I discovered, and I was floored. Um, I don't know if many of you are a part of some conversations that I'm a part of, but maybe you're a part of a high school reunion page on social media. Um, that page every day makes my jaw drop more than any other page simply because uh, I don't know who the curator of this page is particularly. I know it's a classmate of mine. I'm not sure which classmate it is, but they give us the most amazing stories of classmates and what has happened to them in their life. And so one of the more recent ones, and I was shocked uh, to read this one was a uh, classmate who I knew, who I respected. Uh, he respected me. Um, I will go ahead and tell you the way I earned his respect was by standing my ground with him. He was the high school bully, um, and I just would not have any of that. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, my last fight in high school was with this kid. Um, it was not in high school. We decided this is going to be a good one. Let's take this off campus because neither of us wants to be expelled. And so we did. Um, high four o'clock in the afternoon uh, in the neighborhood and throw down. Good times, good times. And I'm not very proud of that moment, but it did keep him from some of the things that he wanted to say and do to me while we were at school. And so anyway, high school bully, bullied everybody. I mean, he was an equal opportunist. Didn't matter if you were a nerd, a geek, popular, did not matter. He just bullied anybody, boy, girl, sheepdog, did not matter. 
Okay, he would bully it all. That's just the way he operated. And so his story came up and I saw it and I saw his name and I was like, you know, I am curious as to what happened to him. And I'm gonna go ahead and be real with you. I thought for sure it was gonna start with this is such and such who graduated with us in the class of 1999. He did nothing with his life. He failed at his job and now he's sitting in a federal penitentiary. Like that's really what I expected. So I was like, surely this guy's in Leavenworth somewhere like rotting, you know what I mean? Um, And that's literally what I thought. And so I started reading the story. I was floored when I read his story because his story went like this. He graduated high school, realized how angry he was, how broken he was, how evil he was with people. He ended up getting a job. He ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, He met, uh, he became a truck driver and threw at a local truck stop, met an evangelist who shared the gospel with him, gave him the Bible, was discipled by this guy every night at three o'clock in the morning at the same gas station. Uh, He drove the overnight shift. And then this is what this guy was doing. The reason why they were telling his story is because he wanted to make amends and seek forgiveness from every person that he had bullied. And I was like, holy smokes. And so I read this and then literally he sent me a Facebook message and said, Johnny, this is such and such, dude, I wanna apologize to you for what I believe was the greatest fight I ever had in high school. (laughs) By the way, I won, you know, that's what he believes. (laughs) So I was like, I was just dumbfounded because it is not at all what I expected. But what I realized in that moment is even though I thought the worst of a person, even though it would have been easy for me to say, God, in the midst of your wrath and fury, rain down fire upon this dude. I pray that your fire would come down so hot and so hard that even the penitentiary that he is rotting in would not withstand your fiery arrows, O Lord, because you are sovereign and mighty in the name of Jesus and your mercy, amen. being real. And yet, in this moment, God looked upon my friend through grace and mercy and changed his life. Brought him a total 180. So I I messaged him back. I was like, first of all, brother, can I I tell your story? Like, this is incredible. Like, he told me how he came to faith in Christ. Um, I was floored by his message. Um, I asked him, I said, well, what are you doing now? He's an active member of a local church, uh, not local here, uh, because boy, that would be odd. Um, But he's not only an active member of the church, but he is now a deacon for that church, faithfully serving God. He teaches, and, and this is what crushed me. He now mentors young men on how to be a godly man and not follow the example that he set. And so he said, every, he said, I just weep. And I'm like, bro, you don't cry. And he's like, no, I weep every time I get together with these dudes because I realize what could have been and what God has done. And I was like, powerful Lord. So coming back to our passage here, we have to trust God in his faithfulness. Like we said, God's faithfulness is both a a calling of comfort, but at the same time as we talked about this morning, it's a warning as well, because God will be faithful. He will be faithful in his mercy, but at the same time, God will be faithful in his justice. And so we get to verse five, and here's where we learn a little bit more about the reward and what is happening, because here we see that God will, the back half of verse five, it says that he will tear them down and build them up no more. Asher, do you need help, buddy? Here, I got you, dude. Hold on. I know that Hess truck is important, my man. There you go. I had those growing up too. Still have them, by the way. There you go. You're welcome. Don't say I never did anything for you, kid. 
Okay, so there we go. So back into verse five, it says that he will tear them down. Um, and now here is pronounced judgment. This is the pronounced judgment of a faithful God. And again, this is done not out of a sense of personal vengeance or vindication, but really out of a sense of knowing God and knowing how infinitely holy God is. Because here's the reality. There, God is not gonna be okay with our evil. God is not gonna be okay with evil in this world. He is going to burn it all to the ground. All right, he is going to wipe evil from our midst, okay? This is not one of those yin-yang kind of moment things where in every good there's evil and in every evil there's good. It's not that at all. God is going to completely tear down evil. And so the truth that we have is that there is going to come a point, whether we are gracious and merciful and we see the grace and mercy of God and therefore we are believers in Christ. And even for those who wanna mock God and refute God and argue with God and say that God is not real, what we can learn from verse five is the simple truth that all will call upon the name of the Lord. And there will be some who will know him and they will be forgiven by him and they will praise God for all of eternity and yet the rest of them will be cast into God's final judgment. In other words, he will tear them down. So as we are seeing again from Psalm 28, verse five, as we saw in 2 Timothy chapter two today, God's faithfulness is a two-way street, okay? There is either God's faithfulness and mercy or God's faithfulness and justice, and it will be seen. That's why we read the passage um, that there will be a day um, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And a lot of people, and I heard a pastor this week in a podcast talk about how what a beautiful and wonderful day that will be um, for all people who cry out Jesus is Lord. That is true to an extent because the believers in Christ, that will be a wonderful day. We're gonna, we're gonna be like, yes, there he is. We've been telling you, there he is. Jesus Christ is Lord. And here we are. We see him and we are praising him and, and we, have, we have worshiped him. We have given our lives to him. And so we're so excited to see this. But the reality is there are also gonna be those who will bow before him. And for the first time ever, they will declare him as Lord. And in that moment, it'll be too late. God's justice will be swift. And so with that, we should be not only praying for our friends and praying for our brothers and sisters, but at the same time, we need to be praying for those that we know who don't know him because they will be torn down because God will be faithful in his justice. Now we go from there into verses six through nine, and here's the second part of our uh, prayer tonight. And it's actually the answer that we get. So we look at verse six and we see the phrase, blessed be the Lord. Now, honestly, this is a bit of an odd start coming off verse five, where we just heard of how God is going to tear down all of evil. However, the psalmist here again is praising God for both God's answered prayers and also praising him in anticipation for how God will answer his prayer. So when we think about this in terms of our time today, when we bring our requests to God, the question we now have to ask ourselves is, as we are bringing our requests to God, when was the last time we stopped to praise God for the simple joy of knowing that God will answer? I mean, just think about that for a moment. Every time we pray to God, God will answer. Like what other religion can make that boast? None, I'll go ahead and tell you. Don't save yourself the time and trouble. Don't study them. I'll go ahead and answer it for you. None of them. Only our God will hear us. He hears us and he answers. Even in those prayers that we think are just so trivial, 
Like we're like, I just don't know if the Lord is going to hear this one. He hears it. And he answers. Just think about that. The God of the universe who spoke all things into existence is the same God who hears us when we call. What an incredible hope and a promise that we have. We move from there, and again, we see this phrase, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy in verse 6. Now, again, this is the same as what we've already seen in verse 2, except yet now we are praising God because he's the God who answers. And so that leads us into verse seven and eight, where we see that the Lord is my strength and my shield. So now again, we're coming back to God being our foundation and how it is God who is our power. It is God who is our protector. Now the reality is God's power and protection may not stop what may physically come our way. However, he can and will defend our heart and our soul as we remain fixed on him. This is why Paul in the midst of a prison could maintain his joy because no matter where he found himself, no matter what hole he was dug into, no matter what he was fed or lack thereof or what he was shackled to, it never stopped him from keeping his eyes fixed upon the living hope that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that statement should be true of us today. If God is our foundation, if God is our strength and our shield, then no matter what may come our way, no matter what political climate, no matter what pandemic, no matter what diagnosis, no matter what heartache should ever take our gaze off of Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. Because even in those moments, though physically weak, he will still protect us. He will provide for us. And he will give us the power that we need for each and every day. You see, we actually see that um, when we look a little bit further down here and we see the word trust. In verse seven, the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts. And I would actually underline that phrase, in him, my heart trusts, or circle the phrase trust. It's the same thing we see on our money. In God, we trust. This is actually where we get that from. This is not just a trust as in a simple fall exercise as we often see at camps. Rather, this means to be confident in or to inspire confidence within. So in other words, as believers, we can now rest with joy knowing that God is with us. But not only is God with us, but our God hears us. And not only is God with us and he hears us, but now we know that God will answer. And we know that because of God's answer, since he is with us, with us and he hears us, we can rest in knowing that God will protect us and therefore give us the power we need for that present moment. And so that is the hope that we should wake up to every single day. I mean, before our feet hit the ground, we can just look and know, God, you are with us. God, you hear us. God, you answer God, you provide, you protect, you comfort, you give us power. 
And we move from there into verse eight and verse eight actually picks up where verse seven leads off. So again, we see that the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. So now all of a sudden we realize that if God can provide and protect and strengthen the individual, which would be David here, then when we get to verse eight, we can now rest in knowing that God will care for his people. Let me tell you something. I know there's a lot of crazy happening in our country right now. We're not gonna talk about the world. I don't know how many of you, I don't know if many people are paying attention to world news right now because we just can't seem to get past the crazy of Washington, D.C. Okay, I don't know. It's like, it's like all of a sudden the world has stopped and everybody's focused on what's happening in D.C., okay? Here's the reality of what's going on with us as believers and, and how this impacts us. You see, the reality is no matter what happens in Washington, D.C., God is still with us. He has not abandoned us. God did not check out because of an election, Rather, I think God is doing quite the opposite. I think he's calling us to dial in more. I think he's calling us to be people of prayer, praying for our our people, praying for our leaders, praying for our churches, praying for those who may not know him. I think we're seeing a calling to urgency. And so in a time where I've seen so many on social media look around and go, well, this person got elected. Where is God in this? You know what God is saying? I am still right here because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Now we move from there into verse nine. And listen to these words. He says, oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now, this is not a prayer of reminding God to care for his people. It's not. It's not like all of a sudden God forgot and said, wow, David, your prayer was so good to me, I totally forgot there's a whole nation that's depending on me too. That's not what's happening here. No, actually what you see happening in verse nine is you're seeing the marking of a good leader. You see, because David in this moment as a psalmist, he doesn't just remember his personal prayer, but now notice he's expanded that prayer to include the Lord's protection over the nation. You see, David knows and understands that his kingship belongs entirely to a sovereign God, our sovereign God. And so he calls for the Lord to care for his sheep until the end of time in a way that only God can do because he knows that David can't do it. David can only do so much. So you see, when we pray, let us, let us present our individual requests to God. But at the same time, when we pray, let us pray about the people that are in our lives. Let us pray about the people that God has put under our care, the people that we work with, maybe the people that we even lead or the people that we serve. Let us remember to lift them up as well. You see, we should include them in our prayers in the same way that the shepherd cares for his sheep. So my prayer for us, as we see in Psalm 28, is that we would be people of prayer, that we would be people who care for one another, people who don't live in fear because of the unknown, but rather we would live in faith, knowing that the Lord will keep us, the Lord will guide us, and the Lord will protect us because of God alone. In Psalm 28, we know and can rest in the fact that our God hears us, Our God will provide, our God will protect, and our God will answer us for all our days. That's the hope we have from Psalm 28. Let's pray together.